Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, everybody. I um, want you to, before we get started here, to take your copy of the uh, sermon outline. And I want you to go under B, number one under B, where it says Second Peter 8, 9. That is incorrect. It is 3, 9. There aren't eight chapters in the book of Second Peter. So it's really, and that's my mistake, because I'm supposed to go through and check the scripture, and maybe I did, and maybe I didn't. Obviously, I didn't. So if you get that one correct, why, well, it would be helpful. We're in the book of Jonah. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Just pretend like this is a classroom for a little while and uh, that I'm your instructor. Does any, is anybody here, see if anybody can answer this question. The word Jonah is a Hebrew name. If that Hebrew name were translated into Southern Ohio English, what would it come out to be? Yes. Somebody said it. Who was it? Hiding back there. What it is. It's the word. It would be dove, just like the soap. Dove is the meaning, is the English meaning of the word Jonah. And uh, we could spend some time messing with that, but we won't. I'm going to go ahead and read this first chapter. I wish one of these days we could get somebody that have it all so they could just, because I'm not a good reader anymore. My eyes don't work. My throat don't, doesn't work very well. And my brain is just about dead. So, uh, you know. But so, which I am told is normal when you're older than dirt. So here we go. This is the book of Jonah, one of the minor prophets. And does anybody know why they call them minor prophets? Because of the size of the book, exactly. There are four chapters here, and there's one of them that right, right before Jonah, there's a, uh, one of the minor prophets just has one chapter. <clears throat> Here's the way that it reads. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And here's the quote. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire that's located on the Tigris River. You know, there in the Mesopotamian Valley, there are two great rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And it's located there on the... Uh, and, and the reason he, you, he says... And this is something we need to get straight in our heads because the whole thing has changed a lot. And that's the nature of preaching. Most of the preaching today is self-help stuff. But he's saying, I want you, Jonah, to go to that city and I want you to preach against it. We don't have much again or preaching anymore. And yet, that's exactly what he was called to do. And the preachers of today are those who replace the prophets of the Old Testament. They were primarily preachers. 
more than, in, more than predicting the future, they were primarily preachers. Here's the reason he said, I want you to go to this foreign city because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Do you have any idea why he ran away? That's a question we're going to address in just a minute. He went to Joppa. Joppa is a seacoast city on the Mediterranean, just south of Tel Aviv, been there Buku times, and it is still a, a place where uh, the, the nav- there's a naval yards there, um, and so it's still a, a city where the ships come and go, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, and by the way, he was probably pretty well off, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Everybody has a God. This probably was Neptune or one of the the sea gods of the pagans, but I'm speculating because it's a little G if you notice. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck when he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. my, My suspicion is that Jonah is a little older than we had given credit for because I know from personal experience that a nap is something that you really need every once in a while. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? I can tell you how that works. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and and we'll not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. The casting of lots is something that they did, but we really don't know how that worked. Some people think that it's, uh, you, you had a bag with uh, stones in it and one of them was black and whenever the black stone, you got it while well, you were eliminated and so you went through and found out. I doubt that, but uh, I really don't know how they did it because, you know, this was a common thing. If you recall, when Jesus was on the cross, they took his garments and the soldiers cast lots to see who would get it, yet because those outer garments were expensive. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? And what did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, Well, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out, Lord, oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, oh Lord, have done as you pleased. 
Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now let's go back at the beginning and look at this whole thing because it is a lot more than a big fish story. This essentially, as I told you on the internet and and on your sheet of paper, that this is essentially about God, not just a dove. I'm trying to show you how you see if you really got that, okay? Okay. Did you ever wonder why God selected Jonah to start with? Because obviously he did and told him, this is what I want you to do. Why did the... Now, the truth of the matter is there are several theories, but we don't actually know. But I have a theory, and it's probably right for what that's worth. So... I'm, I, some of the people say it was because of the language. The influence of Assyria came all the way from the Mesopotamian Valley to the Mediterranean Sea. They had influence, strong influence in Israel where Jonah lived. And so they say maybe he was able to preach in their language. But I have difficulty with that. Because if you go to the day of Pentecost... When Peter preached that first sermon, when he preached, the people were able to hear in their own language, even though he spoke in his normal language. So God was able, and and we're going to run into this miracle thing, whether anybody likes it or not. So I don't think it was necessarily because he may have been proficient in, in in the language of the city of Nineveh. That's a possibility. I'm inclined to believe that there's a lot more here than just meets the eye when you read the text. I'm of the opinion, based on some data that we've been able to dig up, that Jonah was a very influential man in the palace of King Jeroboam II. Jeroboam, and, 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 you, and when they talk about Israel, they're not talking about the entire country as we know it today. When Solomon died, he was succeeded by his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was told by the elders of Israel, your daddy has taxed us heavily, and it's really been difficult. The people need a breather. Like a lot of young people, Rehoboam said, if you think my old man was a tough hombre, you wait and see what I do. He increased taxation. He, he was increased the burden on the people. And the ten northern tribes rebelled and withdrew. And they got their own king. They sent to Egypt and had a guy by the name of Jeroboam I come up and be their king. The Jeroboam II is is one of his successors and in that and 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 obviously Jonah had access to the king because it said that he went to the king and said look we need to establish our borders i think this is humorous based on what's going on in our country now but he said we need to establish our borders on the south east west and north 
the west being, of course, the Mediterranean Sea. And the king did that. So obviously he had access to the king and probably the wealth that goes with the palace. So I'm assuming now that Jonah was well fixed. I would call him, what's the young preacher down in Houston that everybody likes to listen to? Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen is probably the number one listened to preacher in the United States today. I would, I would assume that because of television and other things. Because he has been successful as a writer, his net worth is somewhere in excess of $50 million. He lives in an $11 million house. He has a, a, a fancy boat for the go out on the, in, in the ocean, da-da-da-da-da. He pays his wife $275,000 a year for her salary as a co-pastor of the church. Now, I could live on that if I didn't tip too heavy. But so so you, you understand. Now, if you can make the transition, so you have to assume, okay, of all the preachers in the country, he's probably the wealthiest and da-da-da-da-da. Now, if you can transfer that position that he has to Jonah, Jonah is probably well-heeled, well-situated, has access to the ear of the king, and then God comes to him and says, I want you to give this up and go preach to a bunch of people you can't stand. He hated the, the Assyrian people, Nineveh being their chief city. He hated them. And because they were a vicious people. And wherever they took over, they were just awful. I mean, they butchered the women and the children. And it was, they were just a vicious group of people. And he, along with most of Israel, despised them. And so now he's being told to go preach to that bunch. And to give up a, a life of luxury and ease to go do it. And he said, I ain't putting up with that. But he made a serious mistake. He... He, because of the circumstance, allowed the circumstances to influence his concept of God. He actually thought, I can run from God. Even though he recognized and he told the people, my God created heaven and earth and the ocean and everything in it. And you think you can hide from him? So he was, uh, my suspicion is that... Uh, he just despised the whole concept and he thought he could get away with it. it. It didn't work. And so Jonah found himself in a pickle. Now, so they threw him overboard. Now, this isn't, those, those storms we're talking about causes me to have some tension about some things. The Bible says that there is a Satan an evil devil in reality in our world. The New Testament even says he's the God of this world. He's the primary influence in the world in which we're living, if he's the God of this world, because God is. And if, I were, if, I were, if this were a classroom I'd, on your sheet of paper, you would be required to write what your concept of God is. The truth of the matter is God is whatever is the number one priority in your life. That's your God. Now, the God of the Bible might be there, but he might be down the list, too. Some people put our children above God. We do it all the time. If there's a soccer game on Sunday morning, God, we're running away from you, and we're going to do a little thing here because our kids tell us what to do anyway. 
And so we've got this whole concept of, of, of God that we can put on the back burner and do what we want to when we want to, just like Jonah did. And so it's important that you understand in your mind who God really is of the Bible and who your God is and see if the two match. Too often they don't. Too often they don't. Then we run into this idea of our day and age where it says that they threw Jonah overboard and the sea calmed. Now that's not unusual when God is involved. Do you remember when Jesus was taking a nap on the Sea of Galilee and a storm came up? Now that's not unusual either because if you were to visit Israel you, and you would be there uh, say the city of Nazareth that overlooks the valley of Jezreel. The valley of Jezreel runs all the way uh, from the mountains where uh, Elijah did his thing with the prophets of Baal. You come down off of that mountain and you come into the valley of Jezreel and that runs all the way with a river in the middle of it and that's the most lush place in all of Israel. One of, the, one of the best growing places on the face of the earth runs all the way down to the Sea of Galilee. Well, what happens when there's a storm on the Mediterranean and it, gets, oh, and it comes over the mountains and hits the valley of Jezreel, it picks up momentum. And by the time it comes over the last little hump and comes down into the, into the, uh, uh, the lake there of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, it actually has a whirling effect on it just like you do with a tornado. And there's no warning. It comes quickly over the mountain, down, over the hills, really, that, that surrounds uh, the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus and his disciples were out there, on, and it was, then all of a sudden that, that kind of thing came. And they woke him up and said, hey, we're going to die here. Because they, they were fishermen. They knew about that. And Jesus woke up and said, you clods, don't you know who you're with? Peace be still. The place calmed down. He went back to one head and took his nap. I'm big on naps if you haven't caught on. You know? <laughs> you know? So th this isn't unusual when God is involved. But the Bible says that Satan, by his, his very assignment as Satan that he's given himself, is to kill and to steal and to hassle people. If Satan is primarily behind killing people, I have tension over, you know, like last, yesterday afternoon, yesterday was a beautiful spring day. And an hour before church started last night, storm started. Now, I don't think God sent that. He's my buddy. I think Satan gets a hand in that every once in a while. And, uh, and so I, I struggle with, does God, does Satan cause stuff that God gets blamed for? I think so every once in a while. It's difficult for us to discern those things. But there is a way to do it. There is a way to do it. We talk about that on another instance. Because we're looking at the nature of the God that we're supposed to put as our number one priority in our life that Jonah cheated on here a little bit. And all of us have it one time or another too because all of us sin and come short of the glory of God. So we don't, we're not in the business of finger-pointing. We're in the business of trying to figure out who God is and how we can recognize him and how we can keep him first in our life. That's what we're really all about.
Because we have a tendency to bring God to our level. To humanize the creator of heaven and earth. And Jonah made that same mistake. And we all do at times. And I'll bet you you have too. In regard to when Jonah was thrown overboard. He was going to drown. And God sent not a whale. But a specially prepared fish to transport that sucker from the Mediterranean up to the Tigris River and spit him out. And we have a tendency to think that's an interesting fish story. Be careful now. Be very careful. Because we have no problem at all saying that man could do that. But most liberal theologians say this is a myth that was included in Scripture as a type of parable to teach us something. I don't have time to get into that, but that, that is in most liberal seminaries, that's what you get if you study the book of Jonah. I've, I've just given you a capsule form. Because they say, you know, Jonah couldn't live in a whale, and he probably couldn't. But he did live in a specially prepared sea animal that God had spoken into existence to transport him from the Mediterranean to the Tigris River. Now, see, we have no difficulty believing that man could do that. If he were on a boat and thrown over, then all of a sudden a submarine comes along that man has created himself. A submarine that has the capacity of going under the North Pole, under the ice pack all the way. Man has created that. That same type of submarine could then surface, pick up Jonah, bring him on board, take him around and transport him over to the Tigris and, and dump him off and say, now go preach. We have no trouble at all saying that man could do that. But we say that God couldn't speak. God who spoke into existence by Jonah's testimony. He spoke into existence all that is heaven and earth. All of creation. And he couldn't speak into existence a special piece of, uh, of, uh, of uh, what would we say, sea mammal maybe. To transport that poor slob over to Nineveh. You see, our concept of God here, we have to be careful with. Because we have a tendency to think man can do things God can't do. When we've done that, we've made man God. Because whoever is the greatest is your God. And our culture is in that, and I'll explain why later on. Then you'll have to put some money in the bucket to get that probably, but we'll see. Okay. But we needed to spend some time. The New Testament is clear addressing this very subject. In the 19th chapter of the book of Matthew, if you look at it with me, and by the way, if you're, you're a newcomer here and you don't have a Bible, but, but all of you have a silly cell phone, you all do. It, you, I'm, I just want you to know that you can get a free copy of the Bible on your cell phone. And follow along here. And that's perfectly acceptable. Cell phones ought to be good for something else other than gossip. So when you look here in the 19th chapter, going down to, oh, what, verse 26, I guess it is. Jesus is talking. And uh, 
uh, his, the, he has shown his disciples uh, something that they hadn't seen before. And, and Jesus finally said, you know, we, he was talking about wealth. He said, did you know that it's more difficult uh, for uh, th- that a camel going through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved? And, they got, and finally they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, this is in verse 26. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, that's what Jonah temporarily lost sight of. Anything that God can think of, he can do. Or he wouldn't be God. He would be just a a man that can do lots of fancy stuff. With God, nothing is impossible. And Jesus made that abundantly clear. So the, this particular story of Jonah, that old dove boy, and who tried to fly away, I like that idea, you know, from God. It didn't work. But this is primarily about getting into our heads what Jonah messed up who God is and what he's really like. Because in our culture, we have a tendency to say, now, we, we buy our ticket to heaven by joining the church and being baptized and, you know, going to church and da-da-da-da-da. Let me tell you something. That's all good, and I'm all for it. But the Bible says we're to seek the kingdom of God. We're to seek his presence. We're to get to know him on an intimate, personal basis so we know what he thinks and what he expects of us and who he really is. The only way you get to know somebody is to form a healthy, open relationship with them. And if we're going to get to heaven, that's what's going to be required. Why do you think Jesus said the road to damnation is wide and easy to travel, but the road to heaven is narrow and hard and few that find it? We need to keep that in our mind because it isn't just as simple as joining the church. It's coming to know who God is and then making a sincere effort to live according to his wishes. If, you, if I were to ask you on your little t- piece of paper in our classroom to write the names of the people you know who love the Lord so much that, you know, that, that they're actually, you would describe them as being godly people. How many names could you write? I got a sneaking suspicion that you could put them on the back of a postage stamp. We have allowed ourselves to, to be, uh, to say, let's, let's all be comfortable and at ease and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But Jonah was to go preach to people and make them ill at ease. And preachers are called to do that. We're not to say everything is going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We're to say sin is sin. God hates it, and you should too. And you, if you're sinning, you need to repent if you're going to please your God. And then you need to figure out and put on your little piece of paper how you would describe sin. What is it? How would you describe it? 
We know what to do about it. It's to repent and change the direction that we're going to. Repenting is something like saying to a soldier, about face, and head in the other direction. That's, that's essentially what it is. Preachers are to confront evil if even if they get feedback. And listen, you will get feedback. But you don't run away. You stand up to it and you face it and you take the heat that goes with it. That's what Jonah had to do. He was to preach against that city and all it stood for. He did. Now God, this God we're talking about, he, he makes things get tough for us occasionally. He loves even the people that we despise. That's what Jonah's problem was. God, and God knew that if he would go preach, that they would repent. He already knew that. And it was kicking the fanny of Jonah to get him to go do. And then when they did repent, guess what? It made him mad. He despised them. He wanted them all to go to hell on a skateboard. And he'd give them a push if it helped. But God loved them and wanted to see them saved. And the preacher's primary responsibility is to get people to the place where they recognize their individual sin and confess it and repent. I'm of the opinion, and this is, as I said, you know, my opinion is, is a good one. That's how we approach things. My opinion is that our country is in a real pickle. I've never seen the division and the hatred that exists here. But God still loves us. And he loves this country. He loves everybody. For God so loved the... He loves everybody. And I'm of the opinion, this is, of course, as I said, the best you can get. My mother... And I've told you this before, taught her three boys to say, she said, to, you know, have, have an opinion, because she sure did. But, uh, Blessed is he who toots his own horn, for it shall be well tooted. Well, that's what she taught us. That's the way we are. But God, that we, we know who he is, but we don't know him very well. And I may be wrong here. I hope I am. But I think our country, maybe for the first time in a long time, is on the brink of destruction, of self-destruction. And I see the only hope, and this is the way I see it, is for there to come a religious awakening infused by the Holy Spirit so that the whole country repents. I can't think of anybody that I know that I wouldn't like to see go to heaven. I can't think of a single one. And that I could spend all eternity with them. 
there are times when my wife and I probably wouldn't, but uh, if you know what I mean, if you ever had something like that to happen, because I thought, you know, I knew that women had opinions because of my mother, and but I, ne I thought maybe there might be a few around who didn't, but I was wrong about that. <laughs> so, so we need to ask this question if we wind this thing down. If you were to write on this little piece of paper for your classroom, how would you describe God? How would you describe him? It's important that you face that because God is a jealous God, the Bible says, and he doesn't want any competition. He wants us all to put him as the number one influence in our life. It's really that simple. Because we have lots of pressure on us for influences, don't we? We all do. We can expect that. Everybody has a God. To the sailors, it was probably the sea God in Jonah, the story of Jonah. But Jonah says that his God was the creator of even the sea that they were having trouble with. He recognized that, but he wasn't giving his heart to it. You see, we can know things mentally that we're not committed to personally. And at one time or another in each of our lives, we've probably been guilty of that. Every one of us. So we need to, we need to set aside enough time. That's the reason prayer, public prayer, is usually kind of useless. Because too often it turns into a performance. And the Bible says that each one of us need to find a closet, which means there's nothing in there but us and God. Where we're not trying to impress anybody. We just want to get to know him, hear what he has to say, and pour our heart out to him too. That's essential in seeking God. That we have that prayer closet where he talks to us and we talk to him and we get to know him so well. We'll finally get to the place because we don't get there automatically because all of our education leads us to believe just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Let me explain it this way. Everybody has a, what we call a world view. You have one. I have one. But did you know there are really only two in existence? Now, last night I went down here where I could look people in the eye because you can't see your eyeballs very good with these lights on up here. I like to look people in the eyeball and explain to them the concept of a worldview because your worldview indicates who your God is. So it's important that you know what we're talking about. What is your world? There are only two. One worldview is this, and it's the dominant view of all of our cultures today in the modern world where science is, is elevated to become a god. 
that worldview is, is, if you can imagine with me here, draw a big old circle. And, and within that big old circle is the world. And there is a natural cause for every effect in that closed worldview. Now, you see, if you have that worldview, miracle cannot exist because there's a natural cause for every effect. And our, our culture is just absolutely penetrated by this concept. We started in our school when we start the school. Because they're not even allowed to talk about miracle. The other worldview, the first time I had this explained to me, it was explained by Dr. Schweitzer, who was at that particular time, a, um, as a scientist, he was with the Atomic Energy Commission down in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And he also taught at the University of Tennessee. But he was explaining this to me, and I needed to hear it as a young preacher. He said, the other worldview is this. Keep the circle, just like we had it. And everything that's in it. But this worldview says that at, as, at a point in time, 2,000 years ago, God penetrated that shell of natural cause and effect in the person of a little baby named Jesus. who was God in the flesh, and that God penetrated that and became present in our world, died on a cross, gave his life, but it was the God who sent him, who loves us so much that he sent him knowing that his mission was to die. And then when he was raised from the dead, we talked about last week, and then eventually, he, he, after a little while, he ascended back to the Father. But before he went, he said to us, I'm going to send the spirit of holiness. And anybody who invites Jesus to be the dominant influence in their life, who is God in the flesh, I will put within their body that spirit of holiness. We call him the Holy Spirit. And he will assist us in that process of getting to know our God. Even to the extent where, in getting to know him, we become a little more like him. That's what we describe as godliness. And it's desperate need within the church. We don't have many godly people. Our country, for the first time, it was announced just recently... The number of church-going Christian people is now less than 50% of the population. Interestingly enough, within about six weeks of that announcement, it was announced in Uganda that for the first time, born-again believers were over 50% of their population. You want to know why I'm interested in Uganda? We need to try to reverse that, but I don't think it can be reversed unless we become aware of, of the Christian worldview 
and put the God who created us and saved us as the dominant influence in our life so that within the body of Christ there are godly people, not just churchgoers. Sinners are saying to me all the time, well, I'm just as good as those people go up at church. And you know what? Too often they're right. Israel failed not because it was supposed to be a, an evangelistic country to save all the countries around it. It was called to demonstrate to the surrounding countries who God is. And you know what? That's our responsibility too. And we can't do it unless we walk in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And we do those, and I believe that the age of miracles could come back to us if we ever became godly instead of just saved. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to be helpful. If we can buy into that, maybe that great tsunami of spirituality can roll across our country and we can get excited about the kingdom of God again. Oh, how, why shouldn't it start here? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've revealed to us in Scripture who you are and how much you love us and what we could become if you were the dominant influence in our life, you would really be our God. Oh, thank you for loving us and being patient with us. And I pray that you will move among us with power like we've never seen before. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.